So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, Monday is the anniversary of the day Roger first publishes famous thesaurus. Then on Tuesday, we say happy birthday, Mr. Potato Head. On Wednesday, the extraordinary stories of the child soldiers who fought in the American Civil War. On Thursday, how King James changed the word of God. And on Friday, what did spam emails look like in 1978? We discuss this and more on Today in History with the retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, man fans. Ollie Man here with The Modern Man, and here is what's coming up today. You feel like you need to be really polite, like you can't just say what's on your mind. Like, no, this is awful. I want to go to my hotel, you know? Fast fashion, ethical buying, and saying no. One listener's experience of supplying the high street. Plus... I know we spent all day with the kids, but bedtime stories are not just for children. Alex Fox on lockdown libidos, and Ollie Peart is game for a laugh. It's all to come in this edition of The Modern Man. But first, your letters, and thank you to everybody who got in touch about our How to Be a Dad episode last month. It was fun, wasn't it? Uh, Simon in Sydney says, Ollie, what a great day it is when your latest podcast arrives on my feed. I particularly enjoy the How to Be a Dad series because I recently became a father myself. I had intended to listen back to the early episodes shortly before my wife's due date. However, barely one day after listening to the first episode, my little boy decided to put in an early appearance. I found myself listening to the next one as I drove to hospital to visit him and my wife in the special care nursery. Much of what you speak about in those early episodes has been relevant to me as I go through the challenges of early fatherhood. Uh, That is just lovely to hear. Thank you, Simon. We hope to carry on making those. Um, All the best to your wife and son, and uh, good luck with the fatherhood ride. Uh, Also from Australia, Catherine in Ballon got in touch to say, Ollie, I laughed out loud last month when you guys admitted you invent games that involve you being able to lie down. Uh, My favourite, she says, is Let's Do Face Painting, in which my kids get their paintbrushes and Lego blocks for the paint colours, and I get to lie down on the couch with my eyes shut. Once, they pretend painted for long enough for me to have a decent half-hour nap. (laughs) That is ace parenting, Catherine. Well done. Uh, and um, uh, finally on that, Christine from Northern Ireland says, Ollie, listening last month made me wonder, when do you think your kids will be old enough to listen to your work? And honestly, I don't know the answer to that, Christine. I mean, I think if I ever really thought about my children listening to what we're saying about them as they grow up, then it would inhibit me from being honest. So I just don't think about that. But... I guess at some point when they're teenagers, they will have the ability to apply context, maybe 16, something like that. Hopefully they will follow in the tradition of my wife and never listen to my podcasts. Um, Someone who was listening closely last month is Graham from Fife. Uh, He's been moved to contact me on the following pressing issue. He says, Ollie, when you and Alex discuss the dating app for guys with small penises and their claim that the average penis size means 50% of the world have bigger penises whilst 50% have smaller penises, you rightly disputed their maths if they're talking about the mean average. However, if the type of average they're using is the median, then their statement is factually accurate. I'd agree that they're probably wrong, as when most people say average, they are talking about the mean of a set of data. I'm a maths teacher, you don't say, uh, so with the people in my class, I'd clarify this to ensure they know the difference between the different types of average. (laughs) Well clarified, Graham. Thank you very much. Uh, And a quick thank you as well to everybody who's donated money to us over the past month. The first-time donors include Darren Zanon, James Highmore, Joe Vizali, Olivia Carpenter-Lomax, Phil Bristow, Hannah James, Susie Diamond, and Dan Rapsinski. 
thanks everybody it is you and your ilk who are the bread and butter of our glorious metaphorical sandwich if you want to help us continue to make this show independently month after month uh, with no agenda apart from to inform and entertain you then please do head to our website modernmanwith2ends.co.uk and click beer money thank you uh, just finally, in this uh, Matters Arising from the Minute section, some listening notes for you. Uh, I was the guest on BBC Radio 4's My Teenage Diary recently. So if a comedy show lasting half an hour of me reading out my diaries from 1994 appeals to you, then I've put a link to that on my website, ollieman.com. Have a look in the news section. Uh, and also Blaine Harrison. Remember him, our guest from a couple of months ago? He has a new podcast out with his band Mystery Jets. So if you enjoyed his appearance on our show, I'm sure you'll enjoy that too. The first episode is out now. Just search for Things Worth Fighting For, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Right, coming up on today's show, you will learn what an Ollie Man sprite sheet is, you'll learn how to play restaurant roulette, and you'll learn which product has seen a 4,541% increase in online orders. Let's go. Time to test your trends. It is the Zeitgeist, remote recorded on Yeti X mics from Blue Microphones. Hello, Ollie Pitt. How are you? I've sprained my ankle. Oh, shit. Mm. How? I was born, and then 34 years later, I decided (laughs) to go skateboarding, which is just stupid, isn't it, really? I ruined a perfectly lovely walk with my other half in the sunshine. I tried to do an ollie, which is a skateboard trick, a legitimate skateboard trick. And one that I imagine, as a young skateboarder, you were particularly keen to master. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of the only reasons I took up skateboarding in the first place. Is it the reason that you spell Ollie, i.e., rather than why, like me? Is it it the skateboarding influence? Yeah, that's sad, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, that's absolutely true. We've never talked about that before. Wow. No, but that is 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 an Ollie fact that you can keep in your Ollie fact bank. Um, But I I was trying an Ollie, and then I landed badly on my ankle, and it it, it just folded like a napkin. And I thought... I thought I'd broken it. I genuinely, I was in so much pain. There's this really beautiful residential street, really lovely, and I was screaming in agony on the floor. Yeah. And the one thing that struck me, right? So my other half had to go back and get the car, which wouldn't start, by the way, because we haven't started the car in weeks because we haven't been out in the car for weeks because of sure. lockdown. Yeah. And uh, I was lying there in screaming agony on the floor. And your and life flashed before your eyes, and you no, thought no, of all no. the great challenges you've done on The Modern Man, right? None, I mean, none it's been the most significant chapter of your life, I feel. None <laughs> of that. It's just, I got a real flavour of the new normal, right? About six joggers went past me, and not a single one of them stopped to ask if I was okay. I can only assume they thought I was dying of coronavirus. I don't know why they thought it appropriate to yeah. not say, at least, are you all right? I mean, obviously, we should say to listeners in London, Manchester and Glasgow, uh, Ollie lives in Dorchester. So that is the kind of place where normally people wouldn't just stop. They'd invite you into their house and give you a spare oh, yeah, room yeah. for a month. Yeah, Absolutely. But on the plus side, I've had a lot of time spare to focus on this challenge. Well, to remind you, last episode, man fans Matthew and Sam set Ollie the challenge of designing a game. Now, they weren't specific at all as to whether that was like a parlour game or a board game. But we kind of decided between us, really, that it should be some sort of video game or app or computer game. So, mm. uh, well, how did you how did you start? I mean, I remember when you set it, I was just like, well, how the hell am I going to do that? I've got no idea. So I start where I do with most of these challenges. And uh, I just went on the Internet and said, how do I make a video game? And there were two things that kept popping up and they were Unity and Unreal Engine. Basically, these things are 
gaming engines. They're used to make computer games. And I still, whilst I was sort of researching this, I still didn't fully understand what they do. But you know the incredibly popular game Fortnite? We've spoken about this before, I think. I've, yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, no, it's no longer one of those things that you have to supplement with. We spoke about it before. You remember, Granddad. Yeah, no, I'm yeah, aware okay, Fortnite's now a thing. It's one of the rare yeah, yeah. things you've accurately predicted would be a trend on the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's in my little chalkboard of success yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so fortnite is made on unreal engine it is made using that i know that doesn't really explain exactly what it is but i knew that i needed either unity or unreal engine so i just went and started downloading these things i tried to download them both but only one of them would work unity worked on my computer right so i downloaded this application right yeah this 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 game engine and then i got it onto my computer i was like what the what i don't understand any of this i don't know where to start yeah and me being the uh uh, investigative reporter that i am i thought i'm going to contact unity i'm going to ask if they've got someone i can speak to to explain this to me because i have no idea what's going on and they put me in touch with a guy called mike and he was like it's basically the communication between your game and your computer hardware so it it means that you don't need to know all of the complicated mathematics or uh, the the interfacing between your computer hardware and the thing that you're making. It does all that for you. So it's just right? it's basically like using Squarespace or WordPress to design a website, right? Yeah, in simplistic terms, that's exactly what it is. And uh, I still wasn't overly uh, sure what he was talking about, but or, or what it could be used for. But he said it. it that Unity's been used to build... Um, have you heard of Untitled Goose Game? Yes, I think I have, but I yeah, don't know you, why. You, it became a meme. It's basically a game where you're a goose, right? Um, it's sold a million copies uh, just online, and it was built on Unity. But the other thing he said was that Unity was used in the live-action Lion King remake. So it's like a, a rendering engine. Do you know what and I mean? And is it open source and free and stuff? Yeah, it's like, completely how- free. They licensed to big... Uh, gaming companies so like for the lion king the lion king wouldn't have just downloaded unity for free but at the low level at my level it is completely free but then if you want to sell your game and you want to sell it through unity's platform they'll take a percentage it's taken me such a huge amount of time i I have a new i mean i've used a lot of templates to design things on the internet and however easy they are things always are fiddlier than you think like you do something it doesn't react in the way you want then you've got to go on a forum and ask why is it doing that and then someone's got a bespoke solution that you don't really understand so you're copying and pasting code around yeah i mean like you either are a nerd who's completely at ease with all that stuff or you're not and if you're not however easy things are made for you it always seems to me like it's more complicated than you think it's going to be when you set off on these journeys 100 percent. so mike who i was speaking to i said i said look what where, where do i start with this what, what's the first thing i should do and he was just like just start small just think about one thing that you want to achieve and just start there don't think i'm going to learn how to program which is the same thing you do you know with a website you wouldn't just go i'm going to learn an entire programming language yeah. it's just too intim- intimidating and too daunting he's like just start small the example he gave was why not build Pong, for example? That must have been very disappointing for you. I mean, I know that at the very least you had plans for a whole Star Wars-style world. Yeah, yeah. I, I was a bit like, oh, it would be cool to know how to make Pong. But at yeah, the same time, but, I was like, oh, I kind of want to create Super Mario Secret Brothers. Monkey Island as the bar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Got to do something else. But And I did. I wanted to make a like a 2D platform game because that's basically where I left off playing computer games. When I was right. a kid, I used yeah. to play 2D platformers. So I thought, do you know what? I'm going to start there. That seems to me quite simple. I mean, they yes. were building games like that in the 80s. So come on, 
I must be able to do that now. So I took his advice and that's where I started and I started small. And exactly as you said, things are far more complicated than you think. I started off with a dot on the screen, a little ball on the screen. I was like, right, I need to figure out how to make this thing move. That's that's question one. How do I make it move? Mm. And then you dive deep into all of these online tutorials. There are millions of them. There are literally, I don't, I don't know the exact number, but there are a lot. Uh, and you can you can literally type in what you want to do. I want to move a 2D player in Unity, and it will come up with like 50 tutorials on how to do that. And you've got to try and pick one, and then you you just mirror what these people are doing on the screen. Yeah. And you will do that. You'll write some code that you don't fully understand, and then you'll spend a couple of hours doing that. You'll hit play, and it won't work. <laughs> it just won't work. And you spend hours and hours and hours trying to figure out what it is, what single thing is wrong, and then you get to the end of it, and you work it out. A comma is in the wrong place, or you yeah. put a bracket in the wrong place, or whatever. It can just be anything as trivial as that. And, and of I course, went, what game designers will say is that you shouldn't be starting with the tech at all. You should be starting with the story, right? You need to involve someone by getting them into a narrative. I imagine that's the furthest thing from your mind when you're literally just trying to get a cursor to go up and down. Mike said to me, he was like, the raw ingredients to making a great game include... One, the mechanics. You've just got to make it as simple as possible, not complicated. You don't want the gameplay to be complicated. You want it to be enjoyable so people don't find it hard. So I was focusing on that bit. But one of the other elements he pulled up was was the story. He His words were, the story has to be credible, coherent, and dramatically meaningful. I mean, that's a lot of things to think about. Yeah. I wasn't worried that about that mind. when I was trying to get a doctor down. move. What was it? Uh, credible, coherent, yeah. and dramatically meaningful. Okay. We'll return to that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I should say I I have a copy of the game. I've got Mm -hmm. in in front of me, there's a MacBook with your game on it, uh, which I haven't seen at all yet. I'm very excited. But when I press that space bar, Ollie, what what world am I going into? Well, you will go into the world as yourself, as Ollie Mann, into into a fictitious, mysterious, supermarket inspired space. You will have to navigate delicately using your uh, dexterity through the maze that I have created. And while doing so, you will have to collect as many nectar points as you can whilst... <laughs> whilst Did you do avoid... this as a tie-up with Sainsbury's? Have you got their permission for that? No, not no. yet. But Sainsbury's, I'm absolutely open to any kind of deal. I will Brilliant. take your yeah. money. I mean, aim uh, low. Go for a company that's got lots of uh, interest in supporting a podcast. Absolutely. Great. Get BP on board as well. And as you're you're navigating this incredible world, you will have to dodge and avoid catching the coronavirus. It is there ready to get you. So you've actually created a game that is just essentially a trip to Sainsbury's. But it's more than that. I'm going to start the game now. Yes, okay. Right. Okay, so... Okay, I've just pressed... Oh, this is confusing. So as I've gone onto the menu screen, two options, play... And options. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm hearing my own voice in the background, so I'm a bit yeah, disorientated. So, yeah, that is uh, the challenge that was set in the last episode of the podcast. I've put as the music for the menu screen. So I people see. are reminded as to why the game even exists. A little pre-show state, as they'd call it in the theatre, darling. Okay, oh. I'm going to press play. Here Do goes. It. Ready? Let's go. <clears throat> oh, wow! <laughs> I'm actually really impressed. You did not design this yourself. 
I, I did. Do you, did you? Do you want to... Uh, well, one of these audio controls. description actually assists the people listening as to what I'm looking at. Yeah, I should try, shouldn't I? It's only my fucking job. What I'm looking at is a caricature of myself. That's why I said wow, is because actually it is recognisably me, although it does look a bit like David Aronovich. And then standing behind him is a giant, like, magic faraway tree-style um, tree, but, like, almost um, animated in a, in a kind of cool, retro-naive Sonic the Hedgehog sort of way, and then where you'd normally expect to see, like in the Mario world, mushrooms, wow. or in the Sonic world, rings, there appear to be um, balls of coronavirus for me to jump over. Uh, that's yes. what I'm seeing so far. Yeah, and you've got... <laughs> check, no, wait, wait, check this. You've got a double jump function. So when you're at the top of your jump, you can press jump again, and you jump again. Okay, I'm going to do it. I mean, watching myself jump is really funny. Plus. Look at that! I've had dreams where I'm able to do this. Okay, Plus. so, right, I'm going to jump over the first platform. Oh! I got COVID. I'm dead. Ready? Let's go. It'll restart. Yeah. It, did it have... Am I right in saying my own voice Plus. just then as a special effect? Yeah, producer Matt, help me out. Got another nectar card. What do I say? What does Alan Partridge me say when he gets a nectar card? I can't quite work Plus. that out. Plus. Plus. <laughs> okay, Plus. Great. You know, like I'm wearing a make... great shirt as well, by the way. Oh, you like that? It's a nice colour. It's like it's very much like holiday me, you know. Miami Again, Vice. Exactly. This is real yeah. escapism for me. That's like I'm on holiday. <laughs> I'm sipping a pina colada and I'm wearing a linen shirt from Banana Republic. Can oh, I? Can I just, I just say... fell off the cliff and it said your shit. Yeah, you'll start so again, again now. You'll have to. Oh, okay. uh, can I just say as well? Yeah. I wasn't expecting this, but seeing your your face of utter joy especially <laughs> at the happy? moment right it is properly because it's taken me so long no you've to done really well i'm really really happy that you're happy <laughs> it's, it's cra- I mean, genuinely i mean obviously like the last time i really truly enjoyed playing a game was 1999 so like this is you know the level at which i'm happy nice. i mean I, you know hardcore gamers i'm sure would find this an insult to everything they love but i think <laughs> But I'm just really enjoying it. It's just a, it's a bit of fun, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's it's distracting me for five minutes. I'm going to keep dying if we're going to keep playing this whilst we're talking. So I'm going to have to go away and play this myself later. But are there other levels? Like, what happens if I get past level one? There are. There are three levels in total. Oh my so... god! Do you get to pick something up from Argos? <laughs> no, no, no. So <laughs> level level two is you know like in Mario where the the next level is like the dungeony level. Yes. Yeah, so it's like that. So the music changes. So you go into the foxhole? No, but then level three, uh, you come across the big boss that you've got to beat. Now, you know so far in the game you've got no projectiles. You can't fire anything, right? Yeah. So what you do is you go into the big boss level and you'll see Alex Fox's head spinning around. Right. And you collect Alex Fox and she gives you the power of the rubber dildo. And then you'll see a big... You've just lost Sainsbury's, I'm afraid. No, yeah, they've gone. Uh, then you'll see a big caricature of me, and I am the big boss, and I am firing bants at you, wow. and you have to avoid it while shooting me with your dildo cannon. I mean, I don't think I've heard a more joyful sentence all year. Do you like your caricature? I love it. I love everything about it, Ollie. I understand this is actually available, presumably, for people to download now. Yeah, it will be. We're going to make it available on the Modern Man website. The only thing is, at the moment, because these things take a lot of time, it's only available for people with a Mac. I've yet to work out how to make it available on smartphones and all those kinds of things, but I will. The other thing, though, which is very exciting, 
is your caricature was made by a chap called Mr. Gordo and it's called a sprite, right? And a sprite is basically an image that you use within Unity. And he's created a sprite sheet. So think of an animation, Disney animation. It's all the different frames of you running and jumping. And we're going to make that available as well for people. So it means that if you want to make your own game with Ollie in it, you can. Great. Thanks for setting that up without talking to my agent first. (laughs) (laughs) I can't see any issues here. Uh Great. Okay, so we'll put links to all of those things on the website, modernmanwith2ends.co.uk. I just have a new admiration for game development because, you know, I make a, make videos and do video stuff. I mean, that's, that's hard enough. Mm. But with this, you have to consider every single element. It's not just filming something and making it look nice. You have to think about the story. You have to think about how it's all going to work and how it's going to play, how the player's going to react with it and all of these different elements but what you find is is as you get into it and i was it's really intimidating because there's so much stuff to take in but you you'll find yourself after a good few days and many many hours doing it understanding what a problem is and why without sort of thinking about it you'll be like oh yeah that's because of that and yeah. it starts to sort of sink oh in i didn't and, delete the square bracket yeah exactly and yeah. it's and it's really interesting and then you you'll find yourself rather than having to google what the code is and be like what is the code for this you'll just know it so like the sounds for example input in all of the sounds i don't need to look at that code now i know what that is so i can just type that out from memory but that that's because i spent hours doing it and it's just sort of you know replicating it it's been a fascinating i've really enjoyed it mm. i think you can tell i've enjoyed I it think i've loved can, it what well, you can you can feel the joy in the game ollie <laughs> love has gone into that yeah, it's been it's been been brilliant, and I'm going to make more. Uh, I've already got an idea for a few other games, so I'm going to give it a bash. But I mean, part of the function of of this slot of the show, obviously, is to try and encourage the man fans out there to consider doing some of these things themselves as well. It sounds like if you hadn't sprained your ankle and you hadn't been on lockdown, this would have possibly been a mission too far. I mean, how many people are actually making games? I asked Mike this question. He took massive pleasure in giving me some specifics. Fifty four percent of the top 1,000 mobile games were made with Unity. And uh, 3 billion Unity apps are downloaded every month. But that... that okay, uh, oh, okay, Unity apps as in, like, games designed games using developed their Games developed on Unity. Okay, fine, yeah, three, I can Yeah, that. but 3 okay. billion. It's a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, it's an yeah, awful yeah. lot. I, I just wonder how many people are actually at home doing that. Yeah, well, two of the two of the tutorial videos that I used, or two of the tutorial channels, one of them's called Breakies, the other one's called Code Monkey. Breakies which is definitely worth checking out if you're interested in it, has over a million subscribers. So I said, mm. and, and all they do is game development. They teach you how to, to make your own games. So just working on that alone, you've got a million people who are actively wanting to learn how to develop computer games. They've sub- subscribed to that channel. So it's a lot more than you would think. And, you know, it's a growing industry as well. And especially at the moment, if you're looking to get into a line of work that is relatively stable, game development is probably a good way to go. Okay, uh, Ollie Peer is looking far too happy at the moment, so if you listen to this <laughs> thinking I'd like to challenge him to do something a little bit more strenuous, perhaps physically, uh, perhaps emotionally, uh, do set him a challenge uh, by going to modernmanwith2ends.co.uk and clicking on the feedback form. Uh, would you like to find out what your challenge is for July? Yeah, absolutely. Go on. It is from Hannah from Swansea, who says, I'm going back to work next month, I don't drive, and I've been told to avoid taking public transport i hate cycling but it might be my only option 
So can Ollie look into how I can make cycling more bearable? More bearable? Well, it's physically strenuous, isn't it? That's the thing. People who aren't used to cycling, if, if I presume Hannah normally takes the bus or whatever, mm. uh, if you're not used to cycling and you're thinking of the autumn and winter ahead, a lot of people are just wondering, I suppose, what are the latest developments to help me through this? Just a coat in the winter? Some a gloves. coat. I think yeah. she's probably thinking <laughs> more along the lines of uh, e-bikes, you know, stuff yeah. you can retrofit to your cycle, uh, how to make your bike super smart for the 21st century, that kind of thing. Right. I mean, a coat might be part of that. I don't know. I, I've got a bike and I don't use it because, not just because my sprained ankle, but I don't really use it just because... Oh, yeah, I forgot you had a sprained ankle when we decided to set you this challenge. <laughs> <laughs> what, are you, what is your recovery schedule on that? Well, it's like six weeks, isn't it? I think I'll be all right. Uh, before we head into our record of the month, though, uh, we must thank our sponsors, Blue Microphones. We're recording this using our Yeti X's again, and they remain excellent. Yeah, very good, actually. I've um, I've done something different with mine this time. So, you know, they come on the, the very posh, heavy duty stand. Yeah, so you can so you just can act- sit direct on a table in front of your gob, don't have to do anything hands-free. Yeah, so because I'm in my little audio hole that I've created under the stairs, I've taken it off the stand and I've put it on an actual mic stand, so it's raised up. And uh, it's brilliant. Yeah, so has it, has it got a little, like, a tripod-style screw at the bottom that you just can affix it to other stuff? Yeah, but just be clear, it's not a tripod size. Before you go start fixing it on a okay. tripod, it but is it's, the mic hole size. It's the pro mic size. I mean, that's the great thing, seriously, genuinely great thing about this range of microphones from Blue Mics, is if your podcaster's like us, or you're in semi-pro audio, you know, perhaps you do voiceovers from home, you're an actor or something... They're a really great uh, choice because they exactly have that kind of flexibility. You can put them inside a professional sound shield. You can attach them to a professional uh, mic stand and all that kind of stuff. But if you're just, you know, a part-time musician and you just want a decent mic that can record your stuff or you are just doing some conference calls at the moment, you want crystal clear sound on your video conferences, um, it does all of that in a really easy plug-and-play way as well. Or you can just use them under your stairs and they still sound good. Listen. Hello. Yeah, to be clear, Ollie's little sound hole he's referring to is a place he's built for this purpose, podcasting under his staircase. He's not suggesting that you at home record the sound of people going upstairs and downstairs like some mad pervert. Hello. We'll put a link to this microphone in the show notes to this episode so that you can click through and buy one if you want one. But also uh, by clicking that link, that tells Blue that you have found them through the podcast. So that would be good for us too. Okay, Ollie, thank you very much. No problem. Enjoy the game. I will. I'm going to go off and play with myself. Uh, It's time for our record of the month, though. It is by Mercury-nominated songwriter Nick Mulvey. It's called Begin Again, uh, and it's part of the Begin Again EP, released on June the 5th. Mary was my mother's mother and my sister too. There's rain in the river, there's a river running through. To the sea around these islands, crying tears of sorrow, pain. There's rain in the river, there's a river in my veins Very young as we may be, you know The blood in you and me is as old as blood can be Is as old as blood can be As old as blood can be When we are promoting this podcast, I often summarise what we do by saying we test trends, we answer your sex questions, and we tell extraordinary stories. But in truth, whilst some of the stories we have covered on the show are incredible, sometimes the stories we choose to bring you 
aren't truly extraordinary. It is actually their relatability, isn't it? Their commonality. It is, if you like, their ordinariness, which is what makes them compelling. This interview you're about to hear is one of those. It will be distressing for some listeners. Check the show notes for details on that. But it's a story that is, depressingly, doubtlessly being played out again right now, somewhere in the world. The person telling it is Lottie Woods. She's a man fan and a graphic designer and a fashion designer. We started by discussing how her degree in fashion design led her to finding a job in the then burgeoning field of fast fashion, despite some reservations. I always knew that there was a lot of cons to the fashion industry, but I kind of ignored them and did it anyways. (laughs) I always knew that it's quite low paying and it's really long hours that you work and it can be like quite bitchy or things like that. But I worked in a supplier, which is kind of like the middleman between the high street uh, brands and all of the factories and things. And we do all the designs and, and then we kind of like sell them to the high street companies. And that's pretty much how all high street brands work. Most of their designs that you'll see in their shops have come through a supplier. So even if they make their own designs, they will always give them to us to make. You, you design ranges, but you're designing them with your clients in mind. You end up doing a lot of sampling, a lot of designing, and then they might not even pick anything at all, or they might pick just a few things. The fashion industry's become so quick, and they want so many options all the time. What was your big hit? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's awful. Um, obviously, when you're designing, you don't always get to design what you like. It's just purely thinking about the client. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it sold well. What was it? Um, well, I became a bit famous for doing bejeweled tracksuits. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because it just hurt every kind of instinct in my body to do it. But weirdly enough, I, I had so many requests to do it that I got weirdly good at it. <laughs> so, I mean, in my head, I'm thinking, I guess, at the classier end of that scale, uh, Cheryl Cole, and at the not-so-classy end, Keith Lemon, is that the kind of thing we're discussing? Uh, well, if it, because it was for like a, a Far East style customer, they obviously like a bit of bling, a lot of rhinestone designs, a lot of like, yeah, it's very juicy. I, my colleagues used to call me Miss Juicy. <laughs> for like, you know, Juicy Couture, that's what they their main product. So, yeah, I'm not proud of that. The job, though, came with the opportunity to travel. Yeah, I mean, that that was definitely one of the perks of the job. And especially like when I first started, um, that was my real kind of aim was to work really hard. So I got picked to go on these like big sourcing trips or uh, also inspiration trips. What countries did you go to? I went to Hong <coughs> Kong and also uh, Amsterdam and L.A., shopping. Wow. You know, I'd never really been anywhere on my own before. And it just felt like such an achievement that you would go to a place that you didn't know. What you're trying to do is you're trying to like hunt for like the gems, like something really interesting that um, they couldn't find for themselves. Um, so it's it's actually really hard work. <laughs> it sounds just so unbelievably glamorous, but it's really grueling because you're just probably like walking around for like 10 solid hours and you have so many you have quite a lot of stuff that you're carrying you have to actually take like a little suitcase it's it's not very cool at all (laughs) it's a really odd kind of globalized 
world that you're describing as well, isn't it? Where a client in the Far East would approach a supplier based in Britain to fly to India to spot trends that might sell in China. Yeah, I guess we just have a specific eye for like what a Western customer would like. So sometimes if you ask a local person to go shopping or look for fabrics, most of the time you end up getting like not what you would pick. So it is all very subjective. Presumably, though, when you're travelling, you're not just shopping. Once one of your products has been ordered by a company, it was part of your job, wasn't it, to go and inspect the factories and see how they were being made as well? So you get uh, led in um, via, like, a private entrance that uh, the owners and stuff would use. Um, so you, unless you actually visit the factory part of the building itself, you wouldn't see the manufacturing process. You actually get led into a office. After that, they would say, oh, do you want to go and see the factory? And then you would walk around and they would show you the factory. I always think like, you know, give them some air conditioning, please, because it's just so hot with all the machines and especially in hot countries in general. I was kind of naive to a lot of the problems within the industry. I was very aware of like this word like sweatshop and, you know, I hated the idea of child labor and things like that. But um, when you get into it, you realize it's, it's, it's so difficult to penetrate any conversation like that, you know? There's one particular um, budget shop that everyone really targeted and I worked with them and they actually tried to be as responsible as physically possible, which um, I thought was really, really good. And so I did kind of like loosen those ideas for a while. But then the Rana Plaza disaster happened um, in Bangladesh and everything changed. It was pure chaos. A giant plaza with a market and several clothing factories inside. During morning rush hour, it simply collapsed. When that happened, it was a wake-up call and I knew that I'd been a bit of a, a sleep at the wheel a little bit. I was really disappointed in myself in a way because I had so many passions about making, I really wanted to like work in an environment that was like, you know, good for people and I guess that's why I got into fashion because I wanted to make people feel good about themselves. I just slowly, slowly started becoming like really detached from the work that I was doing, um, I still like worked really hard, went to work, but I almost felt like I was living a bit of a double life for a while. How, how do you mean like the version of you that was working in fashion was like an act? Yeah, I, I guess in a way, like um, I would talk to my friends and family a lot about the issues within the fashion industry. Um, I found like it really difficult to talk about. Um, a lot of people kind of didn't want to talk about it. It's actually very depressing. <laughs> I think people just thought I was being very depressing and sad, <laughs> you know. Um, I, I don't think people like to think about, or at the time, people didn't really like to think about too much about where their clothes were coming from. In fashion, obviously, people are really aware now of the issues. But it's weird. The conversation around the ethical fashion movement started very, very much from an ethical standpoint, like the human element and making sure that conditions are improved for workers all over the world 
But sustainability has almost like taken over the conversation. And, you know, I, I think a very important thing to note is if a brand says it's sustainable, it doesn't always mean that it's been produced ethically. I believe that ethics should come first and sustainability should follow. I don't feel like anyone should have to suffer who makes our clothes, no matter where they are in the world. So I'd gotten into a really good swing with this uh, one particular client and I'd become really good at this work. I, I just became really in tune with what this client wanted. We would travel a lot to their offices for meetings. It was actually the first time working in fashion I felt like my job was so solid. So it didn't matter like if I didn't love the fan fashion industry, like that was my personal stuff and I kept it very um, to myself, like I kept it extremely separate away from work. It was very like last minute we got um, called to do some meetings at their offices that were based in the Middle East. The customer that I was going to meet specifically wanted to go to the China office, which was our office instead. And they said, oh, it, you know, you'll have to go to China on your own because that client wants to meet there. And at this point, I've been traveling a lot for work and I was like really happy with my partner. We were living together and it, it just felt really oh, like it was it was such a chore, this trip. Because you've got to say to him, you know, sorry, but I'm going off for potentially two weeks. I've just found out about it. Goodbye. Yeah, and it would it would happen a lot. Like every now and then you'd get like, we need to go to Dusseldorf at the drop of a hat, like tomorrow. And you're like, oh my God, okay, fine. But it's it was only for like a couple of days. So you, you just deal with it. So I went and I set up this whole meeting room. Um, I'd been there for like a few days and the the buyer was due to come um, one evening. And I, I was just, I just remember feeling really, really proud that day. Like I'd got it, the meeting room, so it just looked so good. And I was like looking around, you know, you have like one of those moments where you're just like, wow, I, I feel really good. <laughs> and I went with one other colleague uh, to go for a meal when the buyer arrived. And so we had a nice meal and we were just like talking and the buyer that we were with, he liked to have a couple of drinks and then um, it was time to go home. And so my colleague uh, left and she got a taxi home. So it was uh, me and the buyer were left on our own to go uh, back to our hotels and we were staying in different hotels. I was staying in just an average hotel and obviously they'd put the buyer up in a much fancier hotel. So yeah, um, I get in the car and everything seems fine. We're having like a, a laugh. And then on the way to my hotel, so they were dropping me off first, uh, things started to go pretty south. The buyer started to seem like he was quite drunk and I just felt uncomfortable with the things he was saying. He started saying things like, oh, let's have another drink. And I was like, no, it's time to go. There's nothing open. You know, there's nowhere to go for another drink, even if we wanted to. And bearing in mind, like, obviously, when you're talking to like a huge buyer, you know, I was being extremely polite, you know, <laughs> um, He's saying, no, let's let's keep going, let's have another drink. And I, I said, no, I'm sorry, like, there's literally, even if we wanted to, there's nowhere to go, so let's just go back to our hotels. 
And it, this kept going on. It was quite a long way to the hotel from where we were. It felt like about 10 minutes this conversation just kept going and going. Why don't I come to your hotel? We can have another drink there. Why don't I come to your room and we can chill out? And I was like, no, 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 thank you, <laughs> you know. And and was it clear then, you know, was that a clear flirtatious question? Can I come to your room and have a drink? There was no room for interpretation there. Did you know that you were sort of codedly saying, I'm not interested in anything like that? In the beginning, I would say no. I, I, it, I just felt like he just really wanted to have another drink and... Like, I, I was like, you know, it's just, obviously, there's no way you're going to come to my hotel room. That's so inappropriate. So I was just kind of, like, thinking he would just drop it. Again, like, I was just trying my best to be as polite but as firm as possible because after a while, like, it it was, like, escalating. Why don't you go to you? Well, I know. Why don't you go to your hotel room and pick up some bits like an overnight bag and why don't you come and stay at my hotel and I was just like absolutely not and I was actually (laughs) thinking in a way I wish I'd have said yeah okay I'll do that I'll go and get my own stuff and then I would have like gone into my room and like said I changed my mind thank you good night you know (laughs) I mean the power's in his hands in that scenario isn't it because he's the buyer and you're the supplier he's older than you he's the man and you're the woman he's presumably speaks more Mandarin than you do and can tell the driver where to go and you're trying to strategize all of that whilst I guess you're drunk too, right? Yeah, I mean, I had a couple of drinks, so I wouldn't say I was 100% sober. Like, I remember, like, I was just kind of distracted. I was kind of texting my partner back home and I was saying, oh, like, this is really weird. You know, the buyer keeps saying, like, trying to, like, get me to go to his hotel and I'm really uncomfortable with it. Like, and I just really want him to, like, stop doing that and my partner was like just be as firm as possible it was so bizarre like I got this feeling I I was like how many times can I say no you know it was it just kept escalating oh will you come back to mine we'll just have one drink and then you can come straight home like it will be totally fine I was just like no 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 and I I remember him saying I was saying look I've set up this meeting and we have to be up early in the morning I want to like have a good night's sleep I want to be up like fresh in the morning so I really don't want to I really want to go home I'm tired I was starting to feel a bit I wouldn't say scared I would say like just a bit panicked a bit like my adrenaline was on and I was just trying my best to uh, just get things back on track I remember him saying, like, I don't care about the meeting. I was like, I care about the meeting. I've traveled a long way for this meeting. I've spent, like, three days setting up for this meeting. It's really important to me that it's a good meeting. And he's just like, doesn't matter. You know, just, I think at that moment when I, 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 just as I was kind of, like, figuring out that he wasn't just going to take no for an answer that easily, he told the driver in to not go to my hotel, to go to only his hotel. (laughs) I was kind of going to say, like, no. And the the driver, like, looked at him and he was like, just do it, kind of thing. (laughs) Very, like, authoritative. And and then that's when I was scared. (laughs) I, I just felt like this sinking feeling in my stomach. My whole body was, like, tingling, you know, like... Like, I, like, my head went fuzzy almost. Like, I, I was just like, what is happening? And the driver just 
did what he was told and went to his hotel. And I, you know, I, I was like, this is really not okay. I don't want to do this. I've been very clear that I don't want to do this. And it's just, I guess it's really frustrating because you really don't know what, what's the best thing to do, whether to, to to kick off a bit of a fuss or whether to just keep playing along and be like, and, and I, I just kind of thought, fine, I'll, I'll go for one drink with you in your hotel, a bar area or something, and then I'll, I'll come like straight home like that's what's gonna happen and that's what I had in my head okay that's what will happen that will keep him happy that I've tried to be accommodating and then I get to come home and to my hotel and everything will be fine <laughs> um but it just very quickly I realized that things weren't going to be that simple um when we got to his hotel the driver left they said they oh, the bar's closed I was just trying to get through like this really awkward like situation and I just thought um I had in my head okay one drink and then leave and so that's what I was thinking I was thinking okay one drink and leave because it's obvious from what he said in the car already isn't it what his answer is going to be to the bars closed his answer is going to be well let's go to my room and at that point the driver's not there Presumably you are in the back of your mind at that point having to think what's our what's our strategy if I'm physically compelled to go to his room. I, w- I wasn't like physically intimidated by the buyer. It was more like of a power authority like intimidation, you know. He wasn't actually a particularly like big person. He was actually only like a tiny bit taller than me. So it uh, but obviously like male strength is is stronger than female, but I I never ever crossed my mind that that would be a problem. Um so in my head it was just like okay, I'll just try and be accommodating as possible and I, like it's kind of infuriating because I think like as a a woman you're just you feel like that's important, like you feel like you need to please people. You feel like you need to be really polite. Like, you can't just say what's on your mind. Like, no, <laughs> this is awful. I want to go to my hotel, you know. You always think you'll know what to do, but it's it's not it's not necessarily the case, you know. What did happen? So I went to um, his room and we ordered a drink. And it was just so uncomfortable. I felt so unbelievably seedy for even being in that situation and I was just so annoyed that I was in that you know and I was just thinking about how wrong it felt I felt like so guilty I felt like I was doing something really wrong and we ordered a drink had this drink and then I drank it and he was like at this point he starts like saying things like drink it faster you know and I'm gonna get you another one so just you know, drink this one and I'll get you another one. And then that one would come. He kept saying things like, you know, loosen up, you know, why are you so tense? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's again, like, you're still just, I'm like, oh, you know, sorry, I just don't feel particularly comfortable. And I was being a bit open at that point, And he was just like saying, well, don't be silly. You've got nothing to worry about. You know, he was saying, it's not like that. We're just having fun, you know, like, You've got absolutely 
no worries from me you know you know me you know that I'm not like that and I was just like okay but (laughs) and also running away isn't really an option because the next morning you've got to see him at this presentation that must be in the back of your mind too it's not just a case of you can get on the next plane out yeah and also that that would have been really um you know unheard of in my company they would you know they if I said to them the next day that I want to go home immediately they would be like what you know no you have a meeting (laughs) as I just felt really trapped um at this point he was like saying things like just stay over you know I'll stay on the sofa, you stay in the bed, and you've got absolutely nothing to worry about. Again, 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 he kept saying this, and I, you know, obviously, like, more and more just got really, really uncomfortable. He um, would then start, like, coming and sitting next to me, and he would, like, you know, put his arm around me. He was ordering more drinks and trying to get me to drink them. At this point, I said, no, I'm not having any more. Like, I want to go. And he was just like, well, you can't go. We're here now, you know, like, it's... Why don't we put some music on? Like, why don't we, like, you know, have a dance? And, like, all this stuff. I was like, I like, there's nothing I want to do less. He started, like, complaining to me about his marriage. I, I was just like... <laughs> I'm, I have a very happy relationship, actually. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't feel like I should be here. I think my, my partner would be very up, upset, you know. I, I think it's time to go. And he just, you know, he just kept saying, like, the very, like, progressive behavior, like, you know, no, it'll be fine. Like, you just, you're here now. You may as well stay over. And I was like, there's absolutely no way that I'm going to be staying. And I think, like, I had a moment I just thought, oh, I, I'll go to the toilet. <laughs> and I, I went to the bathroom and I just kind of like, you know, like when you do that thing where you like look in the mirror and you just, it like snapped me out of it. Like I was just looking at myself and I was like, you need to get out of there, man. Like this, this isn't going to go well. Like this is already gone way too far. So I went into the into the room. I literally just grabbed my stuff and I was like, I'm leaving, like, extremely, like, this, I think at this point, like, all the polite had, like, kind of gone, and I was just terrified, I literally just, I was, like, shaking all over, and I just grabbed myself, he was like, you can't leave, I was like, I can, like, I I have to, and he was like, it's too dangerous to leave, you don't even know where you are, I was like, yeah, I know, I don't know where the hell I am, like, but I, I have to go, I remember like running to the to the door of the hotel. It was quite like a big hotel room. I like opened the door, like ran down the hall, and he like came after and said like You can't go." It was just so funny. Like he just said, "It's too dangerous to leave." I just thought, "Wow!" Like it's just so much more dangerous to stay. So I I ran downstairs, and that's when I knew it was really scary because I had no information of my hotel on me. And I was talking to, like, the front desk person and they, I said, oh, this is my hotel name. And they they said, oh, there's three different hotels um, with that name, like, in this in this area. Which one is yours? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I honestly don't know which is mine. And they were just looking at me like, okay, like, what is going on? <laughs> You know, like, in the moment, you just have, like, these weird memories, and I remember my, uh, one of my co-workers saying, like, 
oh, so it's this is the hotel you're staying at, don't forget. And I just had that memory in that moment. And they said, you know, is it this one? And I was like, yeah, that's the one. And I just, they ordered a cab for me. I got in the cab. It was probably like a 25-minute ride back to my hotel. And I was just sat in the back of this cab, just like distraught. <laughs> Like, I, I wasn't even sure that I was going back to, like, my hotel. <laughs> and, like, you know, you're in the middle of China where no one speaks much English or anything. It was just, yeah, it's just, like, not a situation you ever hope to be in. Was it your hotel? Yeah, luckily. Like, um, and it, I was just so relieved to get back to my hotel. Did you think... I have to go to this meeting in the morning? Or did you think at that point, I have to find a way out of it? It's it's really weird. What I did, I got back to my hotel room. I called my partner and I just like kind of broke down. I felt so bad. I just couldn't believe that like something like that had happened. And I just felt so on my own, you know, like in like this hotel room in the across the other side of the world, like... I just felt like so small and so like fragile. And but it didn't ever cross my mind to not go to the meeting. <laughs> really? No. I I just it's just one of those things like I knew I had to go, I knew I had to do it. I was just kind of like seeing the whole situation through, you know, like I just thought right, like I I guess I've just got to like pull myself together and and go and do this meeting and then and then I'll think about things after that. That morning was really difficult. Like, I, I was like sick in the morning. My whole body was like shaking. I was like dry heaving in but I got ready, like I put all my makeup on. I thought, you know, like he's not gonna see how upset I am. And I went and I, I did the meeting and I was really proud of myself, you know? <laughs> how many people were there? It was just me and him. He kind of like said, oh, like laughed and said he was a bit hungover and that was about it and I just, there's no way I could even like think about that, you know? <laughs> I, I guess at that point I didn't really care. <laughs> I just was worried thinking about getting through that day. So the next day I actually went down to have some breakfast. I thought I'd better eat because I hadn't eaten anything for like two days or something. I just had no appetite so I thought right, I'm gonna like force myself to eat something and I ran into another colleague at breakfast who was there for another meeting and she saw that I was I don't know I looked a bit tired or something and she said like what's what's wrong are you like really stressed with your meetings and I was just like I just remember like I couldn't even speak when she asked me that I just like broke down and did you then explain what had happened and what did she say? Sorry, I just... <laughs> That's okay. So she was actually really amazing and I couldn't have wished to have, like, 
had someone better there to like talk to I kind of told her like roughly what had happened she just was really firm with me and she was like you have to tell someone and I was like I don't know who and she just like seemed to like she was like just go straight to the top don't mess around telling anyone else just go straight to like the main boss and just tell him and she was like I'll go with you and um, and she was so good. She just really helped me. I don't know what I would have done without her. I kind of told my boss what happened. His reaction was like, you know, you should have like hit him. You, sh you have my full permission to like, you know, uh, do whatever you need to do next time. You know, this like, you just tell him to like, fuck off, you know, do whatever you have to do. I was like, that's really bad advice. <laughs> He kind of asked me, what do you want from this? And I was like, well, obviously I can't work with this customer anymore. He just said, yeah, you don't have to work with them anymore. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> uh, but that raised a lot of like worry as well. You know, I'd grown such like a, there's such a big part of my job. I just wondered like where my position would be anymore in the company and nothing was the same anymore. And everything had gone from being like really secure to you know the opposite did you find out that he'd done this kind of thing before oh uh, so when i told my kind of like manager the first thing she said was like that asshole kind of thing i can't believe this is happening again <laughs> and i guess that's when it took like a whole other layer because my trust had been shattered i i, I thought this was just you know, like a one-off thing. And I, I thought like my work's there to protect me. They look after me. I trusted them. And that, that trust had gone. And I, I just felt so betrayed at that point. Even after speaking to HR, they asked me, you know, do you want to take this further? And I, I remember just saying like, but what does that even entail? Like he lives in a completely different place we're here it happened in China like what's that jurisdiction you know how and then they basically they my work said you know this is not something that's ever happened before we don't know what the procedure is and I said well can you like let me know and they said oh, okay well we'll have another meeting and um maybe just give you some time to decide and then that second meeting never came around no one even ever asked me again, like, are you okay? How are you dealing with this? It was, that was it. Even some colleagues that I knew knew, I felt like they were just treating me differently. Some people like kind of, who I was really close with, kind of like didn't really even speak to me anymore because I just felt like, it just felt so awkward. And I was like, you know, I just became like really paranoid. How indicative do you think that experience is of the fashion industry as a whole? Nearly everyone that you speak to, not just, not just, I guess, in the fashion industry, but I don't think there's, like, many women you speak to in the workplace who don't have, like, an anecdote to say about a time that they were put in a really awkward position or, you know, they had to complain about someone, like, a man's kind of um, actions, which I think is, is like, a really worrying, worrying thing. That's, that's one of the reasons why... Um, as soon as it happened, I always knew I wanted to talk about it really openly because it just felt so important to me. Even like talking to friends and family, you you just you just feel really awkward. It's not like you know. I often think if if 
if someone like physically assaulted you, it would be so much easier to talk about because it's got like a very definitive, you know, action versus and versus reaction. But around this kind of topic, everyone's got an opinion. And well, it's the coercive element, isn't it? So in your story, really, the only bit that some people listening to that would say you were powerless was the moment he told the driver, "No, go to my hotel." Some people listening to your story will say, "Ah, oh, but she got out." Ah, oh, she went to the bar, she went to his room. And as if you explain telling the story, when you understand the detail of what it's like to be in that position, you felt coerced every single step of that journey. But it's it's less tangible, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, like, it is just like a total power play. And I guess also the fact that there's no real advice in place in any workplace. They don't say, oh, you know, we're sending you to this foreign country to meet a male client, you know, and, and it's when then you realize like how little preparation you really have. You know, we know we've heard stories in the media of women like speaking out a bit more, but even like, I, I'm a very like, like, I think that's one of the reasons it really upset me because I'm quite a confident person. It just really bothered me that that could happen to me. And I just thought like, wow, there's so many people who are like more vulnerable than me and what they must feel too. Like, especially like I'm, you know, I'm really passionate about um, promoting ethical fashion. And a big part of that is, you know, obviously a lot of garment workers in uh, developing countries are like, there's a lot of like forced labor and there's a lot of reports of sexual harassment going on in in factories, um, in, in places like Bangladesh, Cambodia, in India, and you know, I just, I just, that's another reason I just felt like I really need to like claim the power back in this situation. You know, even with uh, this whole Me Too movement that so many people still feel uh, powerless, you know, it seems very, very privileged still to be able to be in a position to even talk about it. It's, it really is, it's not some like a privilege that everyone has. <laughs> Lottie Woods. She now works in ethical fashion under the name Lottie Woods Design and she runs a blog too, Into the Eco, on which she writes about slow fashion and sustainable awareness. Well worth a look. Uh, It's at intotheeco.com. If you've been affected by the issues in Lottie's interview, please do try and get some support. We've linked to a few places that might help you in the show notes of this episode. If you've got a story that you would like to share on the show, then do what Lottie did. Head on over to our website, modernmanwith2ends.co.uk. Just click Feedback. Still to come, Alex Fox provides some solutions for a frustrated house husband from Lincolnshire. That's up next, after this. Time to talk about things you can do at home when you're horizontal. It's The Foxhole with Alex Fox. Hello. Hello, Ollie. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you very much. Yeah, how are things down your end? Um, I've actually been quite busy, not only with work, but with attempts at virtual dating. 
I've been trying to be quite creative with my uh, my online dating, though. Um, I think a lot of people are, are finding it quite challenging because it is slightly weird. But if you have an imagination, then there is an opportunity here to do some quite fresh stuff. So um, I've been trying things like uh, computerized tours of aquariums or playing restaurant roulette, which is where... Um, rather than being able to treat somebody to a meal and wine them and dine them in real life, you both agree that you will order a takeaway for the other person, um, <laughs> uh, but you don't tell them what they're going to get. Okay. Um, I, I recommend that with the proviso that you shouldn't give out your address to anybody unless you absolutely trust them. But I think a lot of people are finding that even if they're attracted to somebody and the chemistry feels like it's there, the usual things that you would talk about are running a bit dry. You know, mm. if you ask your date, oh, we've been out much lately or been up to much interesting, mm. it just falls flat. So I've been trying to devise some some kind of exercises and games to make that feel a little less uh, uncomfortable. Uh, and one of them is just to find five objects from around your home that either uh, have particular meaning to you or reflect a hobby that you're into. Um, basically, a miniature version of show and tell that helps to facilitate a juicier conversation. Uh, and I've brought some with me today, Ollie. So I mean, no one's going to beat you at show and tell, may I say. I am admittedly at a bit of an advantage in that I live in a virtual palace a cornucopia of strange and kitsch items um, but that's reflective of my personality so it's still valid so things that I bring along are um, I collect odd art um, including audio related art and this I have here is called a Buddha machine and if I turn it on so it looks like a little portable DAB radio or Bluetooth speaker and it's you're flicking a switch and it's just making that bizarre noise. And what is that supposed to be like a wellness thing? Um, it's a recording of some uh, bells being rung right. in a Buddhist temple, but you're able to control the pitch and the um, Sorry, the I forgot which... we were on a date. What I mean is, that's so cool and kooky, you're so spiritual. <laughs> <laughs> and what well, have people just... showed you in return, Alex? What's the most um, exciting thing they've shown uh, I, I spoke to someone with an extensive record collection the other day who showed me some of the uh, the best covers of records rather than just telling me about the music, which maybe could have been a bit of a nerdy conversation mm. to make it more accessible, which I, I thought was such a lovely, thoughtful thing. They'd also picked out some records that just had ridiculous names and ridiculous artwork on them. So it gave us a chance to actually have a laugh rather than just being a deep dive into their geeky fascination with the seven disco or whatnot okay right let's uh, get on to your sex questions then and this has come in from frustrated house husband from lincolnshire which sounds like a jimmy osmond b-side <laughs> who says uh alex my wife is a key worker and whilst thankfully she isn't in a hospital environment her hours have been increased during the pandemic my job, by contrast, is inessential in these times, and my team of 20 staff have all been furloughed. This means that I have the deeply satisfying job of having my two young children at home with me all day, every day, for schooling and entertaining. My wife and I have a very good sex life, but now that I am surrounded by two small kids for the majority of the day and have no ability to have an adult conversation over coffee at soft play, yeah, Soft play is the last thing they're ever going to reopen. <laughs> it was a gem factory in the first place. I am craving adult attention more than ever. 
Once the wife returns home, I just want to tear her clothes off and get absolutely filthy. Uh, So he's got three problems, Alex, he'd like your advice with. Problem one, she's quite tired after a long graft. Problem two, my libido seems to be way exceeding hers, probably due to problem one. And problem three, I want to start getting rougher and would like some ideas there. We already practice shibari, enjoy spanking, hair pulling, restraints and butt plugs. Only on this show do you go from soft play to butt plugs and a few deaf paragraphs. This libido issue, though, during lockdown, I'm sure is something that's affecting lots of couples out there. Oh, hugely. Some people have become real lockdown Lotharios and found that their libido has gone through the roof while they're stuck under it, whilst other people have found that their inclination to do anything X-rated has totally gone AWOL. Now, for the people who have had this increase in libido, what could be affecting that is a little bit like our writer says, lots of them are spending all day with their children, they're doing lots of homeschooling and they're just craving adult attention and adult action. For other people, sex is a big comforter. It's part of what makes them feel soothed and better about life right now. They're seeking intimacy. They want to be close to people. And also, um, escape- I, to an extent, part of what makes them feel alive as well when there's a kind of existential crisis going on around them. Uh, Well, you've just hit on something that I have called the apocalypso effect, which is when everything is breaking down and going crazy. it's not when everyone wants to have sex with Mel Gibson. (laughs) I don't think anyone wants to have sex with Mel Gibson (laughs) after that horrible jacuzzi story. Jeez. Anyway, as I was saying, yes, the apocalypso effect is when everything is going totally batshit and breaking down, some people's response to that is a justification or uh, a kind of grasping of the opportunity for just total hedonism. They want to party, they want to be silly, and yeah, they want to have sex. And their reasoning is, well, if everything's doomed anyway, I might as well go down with a literal bang. Um, Another reason why some people are more inclined to have sex right now um, is boredom. They have got certain folks have got more time on their hands so they're twiddling their thumbs and feel like fiddling with their plums instead Uh, and then of course there's escapism it's really interesting that if you look at trends in sex toy sales items that are related to s&m role play playing different characters those sales have just increased massively to give you an example there's a 10 piece beginner's bondage set that um, a sex toy company called bondara sell that has gone up by 4,541%. And I think that's partly because people are stuck in their houses and they're doing everything they can to imagine that they are somewhere else Mm. and possibly even with someone else. (laughs) Okay, so that's for couples where both want to get at it. But what do we advise this man where it seems like his wife doesn't? Well, the flip side of some people experiencing a libido increase is those for whom their sex drive has ground to a halt. Um, That, in many cases, is going to be down to tiredness. Lots of folks are trying to look after their their children and do uh, their work at the same time. They're learning new technology. The pressure on them is huge. Uh, Another big influence is stress and anxiety. Um, Fretting about your income and whether your parents are going to pop their clogs are not exactly aphrodisiacs. And on a more practical level as well, a lot of women in particular are really genuinely worried about their contraception. If they're on the pill, they're worried about where they're going to get their supply from. Um, You can buy it from places like Superdrug. I know that GPs and sexual health services are trying their best to make sure that people have their usual monthly supplies, but they're 
there have been holdups there and, and for some people that is putting them off penetrative sex or sex entirely because of the potential risk of pregnancy. Mm. For people who have forms of long-acting reversible contraceptives like implants or coils, uh, where those devices are starting to come to the end of their lifespan, they might be concerned that they haven't been able to get an appointment to replace them. And again, that's going to put them off having sex. Um, in fact, that's been such a big problem that the Faculty for Sexual and Reproductive Health have put out a statement um, saying that there is actually a buffer zone for a lot of these long-acting um, contraceptives, meaning that they can safely be used for slightly longer than is usually recommended, so you should be fine during the pandemic. Um, banded copper IUDs, for example, um, can be used for up to 12 years. That's not what we say usually, but you should be all right now. Lots of people just don't know that, though. So they're not hopping into bed because they're worried about what might happen nine months later. But he's saying she's tired after a long graft and that, he thinks, is the reason why she doesn't want sex. It might be all the, all the other things you're talking about, but it, it, let's say it is just exhaustion. Let's not just say it's exhaustion. I think he does need to have a proper conversation with his wife to work out whether there is anything else going on. Um, because if it is just tiredness then there are things that I would recommend that he could do that would allow them both to be intimate that are low energy. But if she's wrought with anxiety or there's something else on her mind, then him trying to uh, cajole her into being intimate may not go down very well. So they really need to have a chat and ascertain exactly what the problem is here and why they're both in different headspaces. Okay, um, granted, but if it is tiredness, if he's had that chat and she said, <laughs> look, I'm tired, I mean, it seems to me like a solution might be something like massage, something that you'd want when you're tired anyway that may or may not lead to sex and is at least a sensual thing. I wouldn't totally rule out his intrigue with rough sex, though. Again, this is definitely something he's going to need to talk to his wife about because some people, when they're tired or they're wound up, the idea of their partner suggesting a rough session is the furthest thing from what they would desire. It might make them feel quite upset. There are physical repercussions upon the body from certain rough sex sessions take that spanking that he's mentioned if he's leaving his wife with a sore ass and the next day during her long graft a mm. long ass day at work she's being you know she's physically uncomfortable then that's not going to be great for her but for other people it can actually give them a great sense of release it can be a way of gaining relief from stress the fact that it puts their head in a totally different space can give them um, half an hour or an hour's respite from their normal day-to-day -day grind for a totally different type of grinding. So the first thing, again, that they need to do is talk about what their respective preferences are under these circumstances. Does the wife think that rough sex is going to be great for her or is it going to grate on her? Our um, writer has already said that they're into hair pulling. Mm. It might be a lovely thing that when your wife gets home... Um... Has he considered perming? <laughs> I don't know where you're going with this. Well, this does depend on the length of his wife's hair, but I think lots of us are sporting longer follicles right now sure. in lockdown. Um, it's all a bit so 70s it's... at the moment. Yes, but I didn't mean bush, I meant on her head. So did I. <laughs> oh, okay, well, my mind went there. Um how does it sound for when the wife gets home, the husband spends a little bit of time nurturing her, 
helping her to calm down, to feel held and looked after by brushing her hair, talking to her about her day, learning how to do something like a plait. And then once you've essentially formed a rope out of somebody's hair, you can then move on to pulling that. So mm -hmm. it's a build up and an exciting, sexy thing for him, but it's a wind down and a relaxing thing for her. Another option might be, I know he spent all day with the kids, but bedtime stories are not just for children. He might want to Google and find an erotic story that has something to do with rough sex and see what her reaction is. If she just wants to enjoy the storytelling and then go to bed, then fine, but it might get her in the mood. Um, one of my contacts suggested that uh, they look into something called tantric BDSM, which as the name suggests, combines um, the kind of meditative, mindful aspects of Tantra with S&M. So you have the rough and the soft, the slow and the intense together. Um, and it's also designed Tantra to start off quite calmly, but awaken your inner energy. So that might be a good way for the wife, again, to wind down, but then to, to kind of wake up ready for a more intense sex session if that's what they both want. All of this is potentially very useful, but what if we just take his email at face value? She really is exhausted. She doesn't want to have sex. You know, su suggestions of her being lazy and lying there aren't enough. She would <laughs> rather be reading a book. What are the options there? Obviously, I would only advocate any kind of sexual action that was totally consensual. So that leaves him really um, needing to sort himself out. Uh, if he is into rough sex himself, then he might want to experiment with using butt plugs and toys on his own. In fact, we haven't really talked about the, the possibility that she might be the dominant one and this guy could be submissive. There are lots of ways that you can be uh, a laid back, lazy, sleepy dom as well. Yes. In fact, I spoke to uh, my friend, uh, the professional dominant master Dominic, and he says that sometimes if he's really knackered, but he has a client booked in for a session, uh, he will turn it into a slumber party at your bully's house <laughs> and he'll rock up in his pyjamas and just beat the shit out of them with a pillow. <laughs> Um, another friend of mine, Moira Mona, who's a, a, a professional dominant based in the Netherlands, suggested cling film bondage. Um, our writer has already said that they're into shibari, which is Japanese rope bondage, but that is very labour intensive. You have to concentrate on what you're doing. It takes freaking ages. In fact, part of the delight of shibari is the time taken in the artifice to create it. If you don't have that time or that inclination, just grabbing some cling film and wrapping it around your sub is a quick and easy way of restraining them. You can actually wrap a toy like uh, a magic wand um, or there's WeVibe make a really interesting toy called the Moxie, which is a tiny vibrator that attaches to any piece of clothing using a strong magnet. And then it can be uh, operated using a remote control app. So you could wrap your submissive up sit on the couch with your phone and just occasionally buzz them. <laughs> They're entertained, you're chilling out. I suppose if you hadn't spent all day entertaining children as well, there's maybe a, a chance to build some props for a future encounter together. You know, that's something oh, you could do. Yeah. You know, people like to do a little bit of a project, don't they? Build your own ropes, make your own whips. You know, uh, not, not actually... use them. 
there's quite a few um, tutorials online on how to weave your own personalized uh, collars and harnesses and handcuffs. But actually, this is very neat, Ollie. Returning to my original idea of restaurant roulette, where you order your date a takeaway, mm. if our couple uh, like Chinese food or anything that you eat with chopsticks, when the wife gets home, they could order uh, order a takeaway, make sure that there are some chopsticks in the bag. And you know those cheap ones that are two wooden sticks that are joined at the bottom? Mm. They make really good nipple clamps. There we go. You've eaten and you've sort of been beaten at the same time. And you've got a terrific review for Just Eat. Uh, Alex, <laughs> it's been a pleasure as ever. If you have a question for Alex to answer in a future edition of The Foxhole, what do you need to do with it? Go to the Modern Man website, modernman.co.uk, and hit feedback. And with that, we have very nearly reached the end of this edition of The Modern Man, but there is just time to appoint a new manbassador. It is Mark in Wrexham, North Wales, who says, Ollie, your podcast is one of my firm favourites. A few years back, my wife had life-saving heart surgery, and when I stayed with her in hospital, The Modern Man really helped keep me sane. Now, during the COVID crisis, your back catalogue has been a real help to my mental health, so I hope my beer money helps you during this crazy time. Uh, Mark, it definitely does. Thank you so much. That's very kind. I now pronounce you Manbassador for Wrexham. Godspeed. If you'd like to be a Manbassador, you can buy us a beer and drop us a line via our website and head there now to play Ollie Peart's computer game. Until next time, our theme music is by Django Django. I've been Ollie Man, the producer Matt Hill, and we'll see you with something new on the 1st of July. She says I am in the living, I am in the dying too. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.